Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. I drop your name in all over the place now. I get a slightly better deal at Greg's, but apart from that, that's all I've. <laughs> Have they named a sausage after me yet? <laughs> I could say something about Sainsbury's have named a cabbage after you, but I didn't, see? <laughs> that was kind. Uh, yes. Unkind right. we... to think it, you know, but kind not to say it. Right. 180, right. isn't it? Yes. Right. Apparently, yeah. Yes, right. Hang on, then. Hello, and welcome to Chapter 180... Ah. Of the Corona Diaries. One hundred and eighty. Yeah, we never spoke about darts, have we? No, we could do with a sample of that bloke shouting it that we just throw in straight in there. Well, I'm sure we can find one. What was he called? <laughs> Nobby Robinson. I don't know. <laughs> well, we should know because he was on Bullseye as well, and I bet your household used to watch Bullseye of a Sunday evening. No, we didn't. We didn't. That was yeah. a bit too low rent for us. But was it? Yeah. I think it was the, you know, the graphics at the beginning of it put us off. Right. Um, no, I don't know. Put me off anyway. I I was probably wearing stack heels by then, so I wasn't bothered about it. I wasn't doing darts. I was doing big hair. Right. Okay. Anyway, 180. Hey. No special guest, but on the subject of special guests, I've been texting Mr Sidwell. Ah, uh, yes. He's currently on a bike in Mallorca. He is indeed. Or Mallorca. Are they the same place or is that two different ones? No, it's the same place, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Oh. So is the Mallorca a slightly more pretentious version of Mallorca? Well, is this, isn't this one of these places that where we always we used to have two spellings, but now we take the local spelling? Uh, okay. Um, the water in Maloka don't taste like what it ought. Well, it's like Kiev and Kiev, isn't it? Kiev. Yes, I suppose so. And uh, I don't know some other shit. Yeah. It's Saturday. It's not Saturday, is it? It's <laughs> Saturday. It's Monday. <laughs> did you have a heavy oh, weekend? I've slipped sideways a bit. I did have a heavy weekend, actually. Yeah, I'm following a heavy week. I couldn't move on. I really couldn't move on Friday. I was so done after um, those three shows. Uh, so I was a tired puppy. Oh. Um and then we went out, of course. We did what we always do when I haven't, can't stand. We go out and get paralytic. Um, so we did that. And then um, Sunday, I think Sunday was a quiet day. That was yesterday, wasn't it? Hmm. I was probably doing things. Oh, I pruned my plum tree. I did. Well, funnily enough, hold on to that thought because I wanted to talk to you about about gardening at the mm. turn of the season. So mm. hold on to that thought. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Come back. Back to Mr. Sidwell, who is in yeah. Mallorca, Mallorca, however yeah. you pronounce it. I think that's where he is. He's definitely there because he sent me a text. Right. Well, he's, he, I, I messaged him to say, oh, can you, can you lob us the code so I can watch the Crooked Billet back? Mm. Uh, which he, which he very, he very kindly did. Bless him. Um, which brings me to another thing, but I'll come to that in a second. But, yes, he's more than happy to come on um, when he gets back from holiday. Okay, so he'll just be, he'll be, he'll be, yes, he'll be a guest. There won't be a a zero in the title, but Tim will be there. Well, there could be, because of our ability to get the numbers right, we could just record 180 all over again, out of sequence. Yeah, or just 
call it 180A, even though it's 183 or something. We could do that. That would work. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting getting Tim on. Hmm. Um, yeah, always but, nice. But then that takes us back to the live stream. Hmm. Hmm. Um, mm. Which I, I've, I've watched half of the live stream. Um, mm. I've had it on while I've been working today. The first hour and a half is people eating their tea. <laughs> We've live streamed people eating their tea. Yeah, so it's a three hour, That's 44 just... minute live stream, but you don't come on till about an hour and 37 minutes. That's hysterical. Fantastic. Um so, so that's quite a nice little touch, I thought. Uh, bits of bits of fame for for people just having their nosh. Yeah. Um, well, it's but, value for money. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you get know. you get you get nearly four hours of it. <laughs> you get to watch people having dinner. First. Having dinner, which is which is quite nice. Um, but it brings me round to the fact that I have got as far as you you dis- describing me as dressing like a geography teacher. I didn't. Don't you dare. That wasn't uh, n- me. <laughs> no, you did. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> which, I thought, which I thought was a beautiful moment. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> Are you sure I did? Yeah, you did. You did. Oh, that's that's not really me on stage, Anthony. Is it, is it not? No. Because it looked like you. <laughs> And you're still talking to me. And I'm That's still remarkable. talking to you. Yes, yes. I'm not taking it to heart or anything. It's no. probably still a bit too raw because I only heard it half an hour ago. By tomorrow, I'm going to be really annoyed. I think I was just trying to offset the fact that you were like George Clooney with a mile's legs. I think that you and were trying so to bring it down a bit, weren't you? I was you? trying to rein it back in. Yeah. Uh, you know, in case they thought you were of, of an indefinable gender. Or an undefiable gender, for that matter. Uh, so there, yeah. So I was reining it in, trying to make you seem a bit more, you know, not quite so Rocky Horror. Right. And you, and you got to geography teacher. <laughs> I thought that would help. <laughs> <laughs> but of the other things I gleaned, and I've, I've still yeah. got half of it to go, so I'm sure all the bits are going to come out. <laughs> I, I love the fact that you learnt two songs in a different key to the original because you thought you'd play them a bit lower. Yes. Then decided it didn't work. And had to transpose them up. Yes. Yeah. I did that with Brave. It's in F sharp and I, I thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to sing it in F sharp. I'll learn it in E. And I learned it in E and it sounded dreadful. So... Um, I had to transpose it, transpose it back to F sharp, and um, that was a ball ache. Why I didn't just learn it in F sharp? But there you are. These things, these things happen. You've just got to be um, flexible. But you didn't transpose it in your head, did you? Uh, no, no. I hit the little button on the keyboard machine. You know, you can hit a button. And it transposes it, and then you can just play it in E, and it comes out in F sharp. Happy days. Unless you then forget that you've done it, and you play the entire show a tone up, and then you end up like Roy Orbison. <laughs> did I did I ever tell you that story about? No. I had a, <laughs> I had a manager. I had a manager called Dennis Taylor. And he used to talk like that, man. He said, oh, we, what we need, man, is mo- we, we need money, man. We haven't got any money, but we need money. Uh, but we haven't got any money. But we're going to get money. Uh, and he'd say, um, he'd say, Dennis Taylor, and he'd talk, talk like that all the time. Um, and uh, well, where am I going with this? What was I on about? Um Transposing songs and playing things for an entire gig. Up. Ah, Roy Orbison. So it turns out he'd once <laughs> he'd once done the lights. I think he used to do the lights for the Crazy World of Arthur, Arthur Brown, which was a fire. Da, 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 the guy that sets his hat on fire. To this day, he's still gigging around setting his head on fire. And um, Dennis did did his lights. And apparently, on one occasion, they were they were on a bill, you know, 
with lots of artists on the bill in the 60s or something. And Roy Orbison was on the bill. And Roy used to get someone else to tune his guitar for him, uh, which, you know, in those days was quite big time. These days it's absolutely standard. But back then, that was quite a big time thing to do. But to be fair to Roy, you know, he was blind. Um, so, or, or very nearly. Um, so apparently on, on one particular occasion, um, Dennis um, got on stage and tuned his guitar up a tone and a half um, so that he went on and did his entire set a tone and a half up. Which was which because Roy had quite a high voice anyway, but which but it was all right up until the end of it's over when he goes, It's over, it's over, it's over, it's over, you know, up there. So, um, yeah, Roy Orbison, transposition. Was he, was he not out of key with the rest of the band or was he playing solo? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm just, I'm just telling you what Dennis Taylor said, man. I must have been a hell of a sound. <laughs> So I'm just back from the States. I used to call him America the States. Hi, man. I'm just back from the States. So we'll we'll pick up with Tim when when we can get Tim in along, which might be the week after next. He was alluding to, so it might be one eight two. But then he can tell us a bit more about actually putting that live stream together because it it did look it did look very impressive for what seemed like just a couple of cameras. Well, well, God bless him then. Because I did, obviously I haven't seen it, and I'm obviously in no hurry to see it either. Because I hate looking at myself, but uh, I'm I'm pleased to, that you thought it looked good. Yes, it looked very, very good. It looked very, oh, very good. Yes, um, it had the normal air of an eight show about it. Um, <laughs> that indistinguishable thing that's hard to capture. <laughs> 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 but at the same time, it looked beautiful. Ah, <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> now, of course, for that one, you won't really have known... Because when you do Oxford, it's fairly obvious where the cameras are, aren't isn't it? That's particularly the first one that you did, where it was yeah. essentially a TV performance, wasn't it? There's nobody there. Oh, God, yes. Yes, 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 that one during the lockdown. I suppose I just forgot about the cameras a bit. Really? Uh, yeah, there was one just, um, there was one sort of opposite-ish me and then there was one off stage left. But I, I, ne- I never really gave him a thought all night, if I'm honest. Right. No, it, did, so. it didn't seem like you were. It, it no. Felt, it felt, you know, it felt like, it felt like watching a performance of a show rather than something that felt too staged, if that makes sense. Right. Oh, well, it certainly wouldn't have felt staged. <laughs> Nobody can accuse me of that. Anyway, back to your, back to your pruning. Oh, but before that, I just want to mention that when I was managed by Dennis Taylor, who uh, used to do like this crazy world of Arthur Brown, used to come back from the States occasionally, um, uh, who tuned Roy Orbison's guitar up a tone and a half. He he co-managed me with another Dennis. They were both called Dennis. It was Dennis Taylor and Dennis Berger. And Dennis Berger was the was on the Trogs tape. He was the one, you know, when they go, oh, what do you think, Den? Shall we give it up? And he'll go, oh, stick a bit of fairy dust on the bastard. And, 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 and he goes, I'll piss on the tape. That was Dennis Berger, who used to manage me as well. Anyway, that's just a bit of general knowledge. When you say manage you, when? When are we talking here? Right at the off, when uh, when we were in Harlow. This was, you know, before I'd even moved to London. Um, so I was super young. It was back in the days when I was being sexually abused by gay nightclub managers up against shop windows and things at dead of night. Um, you know, it was after... Uh, after when you know when I, when people used to expose themselves to me in gents' toilets on Doncaster Station, it was a period after that um, when when we were, when we, I was managed by Dennis and Dennis. Sorry, just to clarify, because I do feel I need to get this right for the record. So this is this is post um, people exposing themselves to you, but about the time when 
They were just forcibly putting themselves on you. Try and rape me against a shop window in Wardour Street. That that sticks in my mind for some reason. Well, it, well, it would, it, wouldn't it? It was the same night, actually. I, I think it was the same night after after the attempted <laughs> attempted Rogering by uh, by Jack Barry, who used to manage the Marquee. Um, then we all went off to the um, what was it called? That what's that? Swiss ski resort called. Oh, it was a restaurant that named after a Swiss ski resort, which will come to me in a minute. And we went there, and then I got so drunk um, that um, I ended up in a shop doorway just off Wardour Street with a policeman uh, sort of gent- gently prodding at me with his foot, saying, are you all right, son? <laughs> and me going, oh, yes, yes, I'm fine. Yes, yes, just leave me here. I'll be fine. And um, it wasn't long after that that Pete Townsend wrote, who are you? And the opening lines of the of, of who are you is, I woke up in a Soho doorway, a policeman pr- prodding my leg or something like that. I can't remember what it is, but... I had that ex- exact experience, so I've always felt a sort of slight, slight brotherhood with Pete Townsend since he wrote that. Right. right. Anyway, back to where we started in before the Sorry, yeah. sexual yeah. shenanigans. Um, <laughs> so, so Dennis and Dennis, <laughs> which does sound like a firm of funeral directors rather than rock and roll management, or two fire engines. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been a great name for an agency, wouldn't it? <laughs> they should have called themselves Two Fire Engines. <laughs> Entertainment Agency. <laughs> um, so Dennis and Dennis, that was that was that was back. That was Doncaster. You actually had your first management back in Doncaster. They were London management, yeah, but um, I think we were in Donny in those days. And it was Dennis and Dennis that got me my first publishing deal ever, which was for a, a single called Harry DiMazio that ended up coming out on United Artists Pepper Records. And every, once in a blue moon, somebody appears with it and asks me to sign it, and I'm always gobsmacked that anyone owns it because I think they only printed six. Um and um, they got me. I did. I did a publishing deal with Leeds Music, which were at one hundred and thirty-eight Piccadilly, next door to the Hard Rock Cafe. And I thought, wow, I've got a publishing deal with a, a proper London publisher next door to the Hard Rock in Piccadilly. Wow, wow, wow! And I thought, that's a really big deal. Um, but all it means is that you know. You you're being ripped off, <laughs> but you're you're proud to be ripped off by London folk, you know. When you when you're young and up north, right. So how did you how how well? Okay, let's start that again. No, it's going to be the same question. How do you end up being sort of seen by Dennis and Dennis if they're in London and you're up there? That is a really good question. And I, I've no idea. I've no idea how that came together with the two Dennises. Because um, you can't have been touring that far at that point, can you? Were you just touring locally? Were you going nationally? We, we did play the Marquee Club. I remember we, I remember we played the Marquee once. Um, but how we got got it together with Dennis, Dennis, I really can't remember. But, you know, it just, just happened. Things used to just happen to me in those... Well, things have carried on just happening Mm. to me. Like, you know, I ran into Jonathan King in a wine bar in Doncaster and, you know, ended up sort of... I think think he ended up offering us some kind of record deal as well. Um, And all I can really remember... What I remember most about Jonathan King... um, you know, because I think he was kind of open for business if you were a, a young boy of a certain age as well. Uh being you know, being a gay man and all of that, I think he I think he was I'm not saying he was going around abusing anyone, but I think 
you know, it was, he was, um, he'd got the radar up, put it that way. And I remember Jonathan being, he was a complete gentleman to me. And the only thing I can remember Jonathan saying, which has stuck with me forever, was how much he loved the uh, celery off Doncaster Market. And he said that the, the marketplace in Doncaster sells the best celery he's ever tasted. And he was a man of the world. So whenever I think of Jonathan King, I think about celery. I, I don't quite know where to go with that. There's nowhere to go with it, Anthony. These are just interesting little facts for the people. But I did... See, as a rule, I don't think celery tastes of anything. Ah, I think Jonathan would argue that you might be right, but you've not had Doncaster celery. It's cal calorifically neutral, isn't it, celery? Yeah, well, so's urine, but it doesn't taste good. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's true, actually. <laughs> what about urine? About... <laughs> about urine being calorifically neutral. <laughs> I don't see how it can be. <laughs> I don't know if it's true that it doesn't taste good, to be honest. I mean, obviously, apart from Sarah Miles is. No, but I mean, if the last if the last three things you've eaten have been uh, have been king size Mars bars, I don't know how your urine could be calor calorifically neutral. No, probably tastes all right as well by then. Oh, it probably does by then. No, celery celery does contain calories, but the amount of calories it, the amount of calories you burn in eating it offset what the calories that are actually in it. Yes. Well, maybe maybe that's how Jonathan remains felt. <laughs> Well, maybe it is. <laughs> Did he? I mean, some people travel to, you know, Harrogate to take the water and some people travel to Doncaster to take the celery. Exactly. I right. used to work on Doncaster Market. Did you? Selling, yeah, selling fruit and veg for an old dear called Miss Harris, who had a beard. <laughs> I bet she did. They can get a bit chilly around the face on Doncaster Market. <laughs> it's true. I worked on a market still selling food and veg as well. Did you? Well, there yes. you go. We've got something in common. What Did you have to get up super early? Oh, ridiculously early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. me too. It was like, you know, five in the morning or something bonkers. I had to be I had to be in a lock-up at half past five. I bet you did. To, to trundle her veg down the street, get her market stall set up. Oh, I've got you down as some form of Granville now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was, I was, young, a good, a good deal younger than Granville. Was well, yeah, because he was about forty. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was young at the time. I was young. I had. Um, I remember my maths teacher giving me a hard time for that job. He said, "You, he said, you, you, you're worn out before you get to school, son." You want to pack that job in, he said, mm. just before he hit me with a blackboard rubber. Yeah. If only he'd known. The, the care, the care mm. of the fella. Yeah, well, if you, only he'd, he'd known. What would he have known? If he only known what? Well, I mean, you couldn't have, you, you would have struggled to hold your own with Jonathan King on the subject of celery if he'd not worked on Doncaster Market. Exactly. Exactly. And look what's so. flowed from that. Exactly. Mm. Jonathan got... King was a was quite a talent spotter, you know. He he gave Genesis their first deal. He gave Ten CC their first deal on his. Um, I think he had a label. What was his label called? It might have been JK Records or something like that. I can't remember what it was called. Somebody should write in and tell me what Jonathan King's label was. But I think Genesis is. First album, Genesis to Revelations, might have been on his label. And I think the first thing 10CC ever put out was on his label. So there we are. He, 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 he spotted, you know, he knew talent when he saw it. Hmm. Well, obviously. <laughs> and he knew, and he knew celery. So anyway, back to Dennis and Dennis then. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So Dennis and Dennis, we don't quite know how, spotted you some somehow. Must have done, yeah. 
Um, Dennis and Dennis. And, and, and it wasn't just you, it was Harlow. Yeah, it was Harlow. It was Harlow. And uh, when we, you know, we just used to play around the work in men's clubs, but we did do, it must have been round about the time we did the show in at the marquee and there was a there was an old fella who was a, an agent i think he was roxy music's agent and he was called kenny bell and he was he had an agent called cowbell agency oh i like that and i think rod was and i think it was cowley and bell i think they call it cowbell um and they, I think they, they did Rod Stewart and they did Roxy Music. They had, they had some big names. And uh, we ran into him in the bar of the Marquee Club. <laughs> um, and maybe, I don't know if, I don't know if he put us onto the two Dennises. I don't think he did, though. But there were a few, you know, proper, proper music biz folk from around London that, that we seem to have run into somehow. Did you, was that, how did you take something like that when a very successful agency or somebody from a successful agency says, oh, chaps, I know the perfect agent for you. And by the way, it's not me. <laughs> oh, no, because, because agents is live work and management is management. So Right, okay, right, I'm with you. I'm they with are you. different things. Right, okay. Rookie different. error there on my part. No, it's all right, you know. Right. So so, so Dennis and Dennis were all about the recording man. They yeah, although Dennis Berger, his history, I think he used to work for Dick James. Now Dick James was the Beatles publisher. Uh he was a very big deal back in the day. And I think Northern Songs went through what they call DJM. Right. And I've got a feeling Elton John was with DJM as well at one point. So Dick James was a very big deal in the publishing world back then and, and Dennis Berger used to work for him. And I think that's how come Dennis was in the studio with the Trogs. He was probably representing DJM, right. who was probably the Trogs publisher at the time. And that's what Dennis was doing there. Um so Dennis, it was Dennis that gave us the deal um, at Leeds Music at 138 Piccadilly. I think that that either had something to do with with DJ. I mean, it might even have had something to do with The Who. I've got a feeling The Who. Or maybe I'm just getting confused with Live at Leeds. I might be getting confused right. over Leeds and all of that. But, but Leeds Music was a thing. Um, you can Google all this and... Rich things will fall from branches above into the palm of your hand. So now I've got another question then, and, and mm. none of this was on the plan for today, but that's fine. Um, so how many different publishing people have you worked with? And is all your stuff scattered or have you brought it back together? It's a bit scattered. Um, the stuff I had with Leeds Music was... Probably two or three songs, only one of which I can remember. Um, and then that fizzled out and that was the end of that. It never made any money for anyone. And then the next publishing deal I would have got would have been with uh, Rondo Music when the U Europeans signed to Rondo. I don't think I had publishing after that. I used to just put... I used to just write songs, put them on cassettes and stick them in uh, safety deposit boxes at Nat West. Um, just, you know, just, just in case. <laughs> did you have one of those Nat West money boxes? No. All oh, right. But I did have a Nat West account in Shepparton, in Middlesex, because I moved to Shepparton when... Um, when I moved south, because uh, my ex-wife Dizzy Spelt was uh, had some had a place where she lived with some other girls at number twenty-four Green Lane in Shepparton, opposite the station. Um, and so I did what all musicians do. Um, what, what do you call a musician without a girlfriend? Homeless. Uh, I moved in with her um, when I moved to Shepparton. 
and she put me up for a couple of weeks, which turned out to be most of the rest of her life. Um, and um, why am I telling you this? What happened in Shepparton? I've forgotten. idea how we got there either. <laughs> ah, ah. Publishing. So I, no, but I opened a bank account in that Out west. west. In Shepparton, because I lived in Shepparton. <laughs> and so uh, it was there, yeah. So I used to deposit my very, very small deposits, and right. um, uh, including cassettes. Um, and they're probably... I mean, who knows? They might they're still, still there, be, aren't they? They might still be in a safety deposit box. I assume they've been slung out by now. Right. I'm not still with that Western Shepparton because I sort of moved away. And I think they found me up at one, one at one point and tried to charge me thirty quid for some something. So I, that was that. I fucked them off. Right. So then, all right then. So for, right, because I'm quite intrigued by this. So let's say, let's say a Harlow a Harlo tune or a European tune, a European yeah. tune, yeah? Suddenly. Suddenly gets by. attached to a TikTok video. Yeah. And goes bonkers. Yeah. Then what it's happens? How do you get paid? Um, well, I don't know. I'm a singer. We don't know this kind of thing, Anthony. We're famous for not knowing about the business. Um, I think you'd take a bit of interest if it took if it got three and a half million downloads. Well, or yeah. streams. Yeah, well I'd just set Lucy on them and she'd set some heavy duty lawyer on them and that'd be that, you know, and, and you'd work it out. But there's more there is much more chance of me flying to the moon than than an old Harlow song being covered by fifty cent. Well, I was thinking more of the fact that somebody does a, a bit of a daft dance to it or Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it just yeah, gets yeah. It, like that sea shanty thing, right? You know, and then suddenly something of yours just just appears because somebody decides to do something random to it, like grating a carrot or you mm. know making cheese on toast or something in a funny way, and then <laughs> this becomes the soundtrack to it. And before you know it, you know, ten billion yeah. people have watched it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't no. know. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be a nice problem to have? I suppose it depends what bit of content is attached to. <laughs> Nigel Farage, I don't think you're going to be as keen. <laughs> Nigel Farage grating a carrot. <laughs> he grates more than a carrot, right. that fella. I'd, I'd pay to see that. If you told Nigel you'd pay mm. him to grate a carrot, he would grate he a carrot would, and charge yeah, you for it. Yeah, he would. He's a total whore. Um, he'd do right, more okay. than that. So, he'd trap, so, his, trap his willy in a door. John, wouldn't he? Where did that come from? Well, he would. All oh, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> door or cupboard? <laughs> In a vice. <laughs> oh, one of those penis vice. I know the ones you mean. <laughs> one of them, a PV. A <laughs> PV. Get one, of the, get one of those old, old fellas in an orange, an orange, already, orange apron to help you. Yeah, I bet he's already got one. <laughs> so back in all seriousness, because I, no, I am genuinely interested in this. I'm genuinely... Be a great, be a great night for a house, wouldn't it? All seriousness. It's just, uh, back in all seriousness. <laughs> what a brilliant name for a cottage. <laughs> Don't throw cottage into the conversation. <laughs> We're never going to get to the diary. <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, we need oh. to read a bit of that as well. Oh, dear. No, so I am genuinely, yeah. genuinely yeah. interested in, yeah. In, yeah. in how many different bits of publishing and where all the stuff is. But what you're really saying is it's Rondor, then it's Marillion, and it's a bit before, and, that, and, and whatever's still in a safety deposit box in NatWest. Yeah, unless I've forgotten one. There might have been another one that I've forgotten all about. But, uh, yeah, when we signed to A&M, I signed to Rondor. 
and I was with Rondo a long time, and then they eventually... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, there is another one. Then eventually... They, Rondo eventually sort of imploded when Bob Grace eloped with Derek Green. Now, Bob Grace was famous. He was the managing director of Rondo at the time, and he, he was famous for having signed Bowie. Uh, Bob Grace signed a lot of heavy hitters in his younger days. Um... Bowie wasn't signed to Rondo, but Bob Grace had signed Bowie to whoever he was with before before he went to Rondo. And then uh, at one point, he quit Rondo the same week as Derek Green, who was the MD of uh, A&M. They, he quit, and they both went off to start another company called China Records. And so Europeans ended up getting out of the A&M deal long story and but I stayed as a you know as, as a writer with Rondo even after I joined Marillion um all my um my my you know my part of the pub of, of the publishing with Marillion stayed with Rondo and then Rondo kind of completely ceased to be and the managing director of Rondo was then a guy called Stuart Hornell Scottish fellow and he formed another publishing company called Hornell Brothers Music. And so I think then, did my... Then I signed to him. I think the Rondor stuff stayed with Rondor, and the Rondor has since been bought up by various other engulfing and devouring um, corporations, and it's now with... It might be with might be with Concord now. The, 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 you know, they just these things just buy and they they sell this stuff to one another. You know, it's like big big fish eating ever bigger fishes and coming along and being gobbled up by even bigger fish. But somewhere in the in the stomach of this enormous whale, <coughs> there is a very small fish which contains my uh, Rondo catalogue. And, um, and so then I signed to Hornell Brothers and so I think that the stuff I did with... Christ, I think the stuff I did with Richard uh, and the sort of solo stuff that, w that I wasn't writing with Marillion, then, then I did that directly with Hornell Brothers. Then Stuart retired and... Uh, we moved all of that to... In fact, Marillion formed their own publishing company called No More Music, No More Music Publishing, we were called. Um, and we signed that to Hornell Brothers as a thing. Um, and then he retired and signed it all to BMG. So now all the No More, all the no more Publishing... Uh, stuff is with is with BMG with the lovely Janet Anderson, uh, who's Trevor Horn's missus. So, and there we are. That is that is as beautiful a piece of symmetry as I could have hoped for. It's bonkers, isn't it? Absolutely bonkers. Who has to keep on top of that then? Um, well, they kind of keep on top of it themselves, and they, right. you know. They send you money and send you and, statements. And take off a, a chunk for keeping on top of it. Yeah, but publishing isn't too bad. I mean, the, the, the publishing deals aren't usually, you know, they're, they're not too rip-offy. They're, they're, they're fairly reasonable for the most part. Right. You know, you, you, you're looking at, at best, 90-10 in favour of the artist and at worst, 75-25 in favour of the artist. Right. So... The splits are in favour of the artists. In fact, most most of them, I think, most of the things we did were were sort of eighty five, fifteen, or ninety ten things. So, the, the, you know, I mean, you can't. No one's, no one's ever gonna give you anything for nothing in return. A man once put in a song. Hmm. Well, why don't we go to a diary then? Because that's actually that single line was probably the most prophetic and professional thing we've done in the last 40 minutes i had a brief moment of focus and i still misquoted it here it comes
Sunday, 4th of May, Mexico City, Metropolitan. Spent the morning by the pool writing this diary and reading through the first volume. Chatted by the pool with Paolo, who's still complimenting us on last night's show. He said the lights looked great. Well done, Jens. Chatted for a while with CERN, Franz Ferdinand's manager, and thanked him for paying for both of my mojitos the other night. He said I'm welcome. We talked about Marillion's famous, quote, business model, unquote, how we'd invented crowdfunding, etc., and I explained how it all happened. CERN said bye-bye, and I later chatted some more with Paolo. His father wrote books about anthropology. He remembered going to Egypt with his father when he was a kid and climbing into a limo. His father took him on one side and said, Remember, son, this is not your limousine. This isn't even my limousine. It's a moment, and that's all. Paolo said that had been a lesson to him. I noticed a tattoo of the Egyptian god Isis under his arm. He later explained, but I already knew. I was still talking to Paolo when I had to run back to my room and to be ready to leave for the show at two. Minibust to the Metropolitan and sound checked. The sound was strange. Well defined, but not really gelling. Most unusual. Metaphysical problems cannot be identified or defined, so you can't fix them. There was nothing I could ask Nick Todd for, as it was already there. It just wouldn't merge together into music. Never mind. We went upstairs to the dressing room and snoozed around till stage time. Early show, 7pm. Hit the stage for Gaza and on the downbeat, Rothers had no sound. Walked straight off again, and we started again. I felt like a twat, but hey, shit happens. Tried again, and all was well. No one can was met with an ecstatic response once again, like the last time, and everyone sang the chorus as an act of faith. Incredible. Tonight we'd added Cover My Eyes and Hooks in You, which had the desired effect. I nearly expired singing them, though. At one point I was wondering if I might pass out and missed out a line of hooks just to recover. We were occasionally beset with technical problems, but nothing that ruined the show, really. At one point, during Man of a Thousand Faces, my radio mic and radio monitor pack failed simultaneously. Apparently the fuse had gone in the mains board. Nick Todd, to his credit, identified the problem and sorted it in enough time to have me up and running again in time for the complex harmonies at the end of the song. Encore 1, Kaylee, Lavender, Heart of Lothian went down ecstatically and then came Encore 2, Neverland. One of those moments where I remained balanced on the head of that elusive pin. I never combined tuning, tone and soul so well for so long in my life. I've never sung better than that. The crowd went completely nuts as we staggered, exhausted from the stage. Afterwards, we were invited up to meet Paolo's guests. He has his own dressing room. What a scream. And as I entered the room, everyone clapped. It was a wonderful moment. Signed stuff downstairs and then climbed aboard the minibus back to room 4305. Amazing night. Monday, 5th of May. Mexico City. Slept till 5am and stayed in bed till 8 before going down to breakfast. Joined Pete, Phil and Jens at a table and had some coffee and chickeny scrambled eggy thing. Very nice. Walked down to Starbucks and grabbed a cappuccino and some coconut water and returned to the hotel to spend a little time in the sun before my phone to Clarins, an Argentinian magazine, I think, at 11am. Seemed to go okay. Snoozed for much of the afternoon. We were to meet at 7 to go to dinner. I got down to reception around 6.45 and had a beer in the bar with Conrado, who was to take us to dinner on behalf of promoter Oseza. One by one, members of the band and crew began appearing, and around 7.15 we boarded minibuses for the short journey to Bonita, the restaurant where we were to have dinner. A table had been set upstairs for 20 people. I sat next to Conrado and Andrea, the young daughter of his friends Luis and Miroslava. 
the young daughter of his friends, Luis and Miroslava. Opposite me sat Juan Carlos Villanueva. Next door but one to me was my good friend, photographer Fernando Acev. Spent the evening chatting to JC, Conrado and Fernando as umpteen courses of exquisite food kept steadily arriving. Asparagus and cheese, tacos packed with steak, pizza slices, all fabulous and cooked to perfection. Conrado supplied the best tequila I have tasted, called 1800, along with beer and red wine, and later mojitos. It was getting dangerous, but I stayed the right side of the line. Down the table our crew were sloshed and jolly. Phil came over later, somewhat merry and affectionate. It was a really pleasant evening. Dessert arrived. I had pineapple in some kind of sweet sauce on a little ice cream and apple pie. Then it was time to go. We hugged each other and said thanks and bye-bye before returning to the hotel. And as I climbed into the elevator to go to bed, Phil pointed out that it was only 11.30. It felt like two in the morning. Is that it? said Phil, determined not to let the night end there. I imagine the crew carried on partying long after I was in bed. Went to sleep around midnight and woke again at 3.30. I just can't seem to get through the night. And we're back. Yay! Yeah. Yay, yeah, yay! Yeah. Was it all <laughs> You need some earphones that stay in your ears. <laughs> Don't you? It's not their fault. I have very small ear holes. Right. Or I must have. Well, they're a peculiar shape or something. Nothing will stay in the bloody thing. Right. Um. So anyway, anyway, <laughs> back to back to pruning your plum tree. Ah, yes, yes. Be- because I was thinking about this today, as I was looking out over my garden, because I cut the lawn yesterday, and I was speculating on how many more times I will cut the lawn. Mm. Now, I you strike me as a lawn cutter. I am indeed. Is it one of your one of your enjoyable tasks that getting your fly mow out? One of my happy places, yeah, mowing the lawn. Hmm. So are you in the middle of your at the back end garden jobs then? Are you now bat- battening down the hatches for winter? Well, right on a day like today, it's like midsummer out yeah, there. Yeah, ridiculous out there. Just lovely. Um. Oh no, I I reckon. I'm not really battening down. I was pondering taking my hammock stand apart, uh, but I decided against it after this um, this this unusually mild October we're having. I thought, what a good job I didn't take my hammock stand down. Because it's nice to string up a hammock now and again on a sunny oh. day. If you want 20 minutes, just, you know, luxuriating amongst the bird song which I, I love. Um, so I left that up. But no, I've, I've been I've been busy trying to erect a gate. Um, but um, I probably shouldn't go public on that because that might, I might end up in court. I'm not right. allowed, I'm not allowed a gate. It's all right. very complicated. So I'm land, landlord. The landlord in the village is mental. Right. There's all these ancient, really ancient rights away and all kinds of stuff. And just, I put a trellis up at the bottom of my garden and ended up in trouble. And, and, and a, there was a knock on the door and I opened it and a man said, hello, I'm the enforcer. Now, that's not what you want to hear when no. you just got to bed, is it? No, that sounds a bit Samuel Jackson, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I did look him up and down in case his underpants were outside his trousers. Um, and, uh, I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, are you now? I think yes. was probably what I yes. said. Is that Doncaster Celery? Are you just pleased to see me? I mean, what have you come to enforce, pray tell? And, uh, I think you'd better come in. I think was probably what I said. Yes. Um, being an obedient sort of type. Instead of taking the piss out of him, I probably just said, "Oh, you'd better come in." Uh, and he came in, and he um, 
I said, I then asked him what he was enforcing, and he said, I'm from the council, and we've had a report that you've you've erected a uh, an enclosure. I went, oh, well, not, not, not that I can remember. Um, and then I suddenly realised it was a trellis, and I'd put a trellis up, and somebody had complained because we're we're listed. And you suppose you've got to apply for anything and everything. Did you Did not fill out the trellis paperwork? I told you the story about the trees when I moved in, didn't I? That's a good one. I think you about, have told me this. Yeah, but go on, t- tell us again. Well, there was a line of conifers in the back garden, and they were horrible, scabby, bloody, browny, yellowy things. And so me and Sophie's then boyfriend hacked them all off with a with a saw. Um, they were hideous. And we left enough sticking up so that we'd have a bit of purchase to pull the roots out. Mm-hmm. You know, Sensible. you never cut tree all the way down, otherwise you take the roots out. You always leave a bit out for wanging on. So uh, I'd I'd cut them off with this line of stumps when and I'd only just moved in at this point. When up up the driveway comes a, a sort of Mr. Pastry sort of man. Um you know, mad scientist hair and everything, and a little, and a little clipboard. And he went, "Hello, I'm from the parish council." And I went, oh, hello. He said, "I believe, I believe you, you, you're thinking of taking some trees out." I said, "How the hell does he know this? That's village life. Everybody knows everything." So I said, um, "Yeah," and. Me, me, and me, and uh, this other other fellow were sort of spreading ourselves out a bit in the hope that he wouldn't see this mass of vegetation at the bottom of the garden. And uh, I said, "Well, it's these actually pointing at this line of stumps <laughs> and waiting, wait, waiting to see what happened." And he looked at them and said, "Well, it doesn't seem to be much there to take out, does it, really?" <laughs> and we both said. Well, no, no, not really, no, no. He said, well, I can't imagine that would be a problem. And off he went, and we nearly died laughing. Um, and then the following week I had to go to the council offices in uh, in Toaster because we live near a place called Toaster, which has nothing to do with making bread brown. It's actually a place. And it's not spelt like Toaster either, is it? Towcester. Towcester. Like Leicester. And Gloucester, yeah. one of them. And uh, anyway, it's, it's pronounced toast. And I went there with me with some drawings because I was applying to have something else in. And as I arrived there, another man came skipping down the stairs and went, "Hello, Steve. I believe you've got. I believe you want to take some trees out." Well, I nearly fainted. How does everybody know this? Um. Anyway, he was a fan, and that's why he knew I was. So he then confessed that he was a big fan. And so once he'd confessed that, I then confessed I'd taken all the trees out anyway. And he went, oh, dear. Oh, dear, you're supposed to have applied. I said, oh, dear, am I supposed to have applied? And he said, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll come round next Wednesday for a site visit and I'll bring the paperwork and we'll just sign it off. And I went, good man. And... Uh, then he arrived with his brother the following week, who was also a big fan, who turns out to be a landscape designer. And that's that's the bit of the story we've heard before, because he's the one who put all that lavender in your garden. He is. Bless him. Do you still see your, your, your toaster council, man? No, I think he retired. Um, I think he retired from the council. But the other chap, the chap who designed the garden, every now and again he sort of pops up, um, drops me a text. What not? Nice fella. Anyway, back to the beginning of that. Because mm. we were pretty, you started off by pruning your plum tree. Ah, yes, yes. And you were asking if I was sort of getting things a bit closed down for the winter. Yes. But I'm not really. But I, I, I have been faffing about trying to erect a gate, right. which is going to cause all sorts of trouble. Yeah, we, we will steer clear of that by the sounds of things. But it, it, I've got to keep the dog in. Well, of course you do. You've got to keep the dog in. I should be off. But you are never happier than when you're pottering then in your garden. 
Yeah, my 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 happy places are, are in the garden on a you know on a lovely day or when the air's still. You know the old um, the capricious dance of lavenders and cabbage white are my happy place. Um, the uh, mowing the lawn and being in bed on a Saturday night watching match of the day. Are probably my happiest moments. <laughs> when Atta pointed that out to me the day before yesterday, she said, "This is your happy place, isn't it?" Because I'd been doing all of these shows and I was absolutely shattered, you know, and pretty stressed out doing them as well because they're quite stressful. I know I wander onto stage looking like I don't have a care in the world, but I that that there is there is an element of um, showmanship in that relax, that relaxed, the the relaxed gait with which I wander onto the stage usually belies uh, sort of nerves of nerves of crystal. See, I, I, I would having seen you in those moments before you go go on, and I know, funny enough, I noticed it on the live stream. Um, you can see it in your hands. Your hands, oh, slightly, your hands slightly shake before you do the first song. Really? See, yeah. I'm aware of that. I'm gonna, now you've told me, I'm going to be looking out for that now. Um, well, it's either that or Parkinson's. It's one of the this, two. This is the one I shoot with. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 and I noticed it on the live stream. It's, only, it's not, but you, you, when you go out for that first song, right? and then as soon as you start, it disappears. Uh Maybe it was like a feedback thing. I was trying to decide which key to put them on. <laughs> no, they weren't going like that. <laughs> not like not like the time I put the KY jelly in my hair. Then no, not like that at all. No, not... I was very very like that. Like okay, that. very like that. Anyway, should we should we call this? Should we call it? Bring this to a close. <laughs> yes, yeah, so have we started? <laughs> I really don't know. I, I really, really do. I, I mean, Tim can't come quick enough, can he, really? Just, well, I've heard that said. Well, yes, indeed. And uh, yes, and then, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm sure it's all those hours in the saddle. <laughs> all that lycra and frantic peddling. <laughs> so, Tim, tell us about your lycra and your frantic peddling. <laughs> That's going to be the first question, isn't it? Well, I'm sure he'd tell you at length about that. Yes. He likes his cycling. He does. He does. It might be the first episode where we use the word chafe. Yes. Yeah. Well, I would have been happy to have used it sooner, but you you never invited me. I'd have been in like Flynn with a word like that. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe we've never had the opportunity to use the word chafe. Oh, right, I, tales I, I can tell you. Right, go on. Go on, I was going to say I'm off. Oh, you're off. Yeah. yeah. Well, before I tell you about the chafing, you should go. Well, hang on to your chafing story. You don't want to hear that. I will. I'll hang on to that. I may hang on to that for the rest of my life. I might not go public on chafing. Right. Right. You might get a sponsorship deal with Vaseline. Ah, uh, yes. Well, that's that stuff you put on babies' bottoms. That's very good. Um, oh. Right in everybody. creme. That's it. Yay. Well done. Oh, thank you. You win. Thank you, you. win. you win this week's bunch of Doncaster celery. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Jonathan will be so pleased. There'll be a knock on the door in a minute. There'll be a man stung in there, all the, uh, like a bunch of flowers. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>